0: How many of you here have ever been to a wrestling match? Okay. Not the WWE stuff. Okay. Not, yeah, that's the one that you've been doing. Okay. Sorry. Maybe I should have quantified that first. Not the ones where the guys jump off the top ropes and they touch the other guy and he does a backflip. Not that kind, but scholastic wrestling. Okay. So, all right. I've got a number, number of different hands going up. You know, wrestling is a sport that requires an incredible amount of discipline, an incredible amount of dedication, uh, and also an incredible amount of conditioning as well. And there's probably we'd probably be hard pressed to find another sport that is going to require as much of the entire body. Not that there's not another one out there, but in wrestling, it's top of your head, to the tips of your toes, everything in there between. It incorporates every aspect of your body. Uh, when I was in high school, I played football, believe it or not. I, I did play football. I didn't get as much playing time as what I would have liked to just because I wasn't as big as all the other guys. But you'd come out of football season, and a lot of the guys on the football team also wrestled, and we'd come out of football season, and you'd be in pretty good shape, at least you thought, until you went into the wrestling room, and then the first day was, was a completely uh, eye-opening experience because of the commitment that was required. And so in, in a wrestling match... Those that are wrestling each other, the competitors battle against each other, both mentally and physically. There's pushing, there's pulling, there's uh, adjustment, there's strategy, there's offense, there's defense. uh, And believe it or not, there's actually patience that's involved with wrestling as well. It might be hard to understand that or, or see that in a match, but that is also a component of wrestling as well. But at the end of the match or at some time during the match, a victor always emerges. There's never a tie. There's always somebody That wins. So we've been looking at Galatians over the last couple of months now and the overarching theme of Galatians is freedom and then last week Dave talked to us about the first 15 verses of Galatians chapter 5 and talked to us uh, predominantly about being free to serve in love. So we're going to pick up with that this morning with the rest of that chapter which was uh, Natalie read for us already Uh, And we're going to see what the rest of this passage discusses from a freedom standpoint and also how wrestling might actually play into this as well. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to open your word. God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to look into your word. And, And God, we commit this time to you. We ask that you would allow our perspectives and our prejudices and the things that distract us, God, to get out of the way and father that we would be able to hear from you Uh, and god that you would just communicate to us through your spirit and father that it would be a time that uh, we we don't just hear but god that we act upon what you impress upon us as well and father we thank you for it in your name amen so this passage whenever you look at the passage there are only about 42 messages that actually jump out from this particular passage there's a lot in here so Whenever you're preparing for this, is okay. So, Lord, what is it that you want us to focus on? Where is it that you would have us to spend the majority of our time? And there's we're going to spend some time on each one of the sections uh, as we go through this. But verses 16 to 18, last week Dave mentioned to us about the Greek word sarx, and sarx is uh, the word that refers to the natural man or the old nature. Uh, And what we see here in these first three verses is that the flesh and the spirit are in opposition to each other. It's kind of like two wrestlers that are battling on a mat in a match. And just like in a wrestling match, there are keys to being victorious. In our lives, spiritually, there are also keys to being victorious. But what are those keys? What are the key components to victory in our walk with the Lord? Is it trying harder? Is it maybe fighting a little bit more diligently? Or is it something else? That's what we're going to take a look at this morning. And I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to walk away with some impact from this particular passage and, and what it means in terms of victory in our lives. So looking at verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is a definitive. This is a, it doesn't say if at the beginning, but it says, but walk by the spirit and you will not Fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's a conditional situation. It's not, if, it's not, well, maybe this will happen. It's, this will happen. So why do we struggle so much? If that's the case, why do we struggle so much with fulfilling the desires of the flesh? I would submit to us, based on this, it's because we're not walking in the spirit. If we are walking in the spirit, then we are promised we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But the challenge is we have a fleshly nature that is always at battle and always at odds with our spiritual nature. I wonder how many times we might actually read this verse backwards as well. So instead of what I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, we look at it the other way and we read, we try really hard not to gratify the desires of the flesh, thinking that that's going to lead us to walking by the Spirit. It's not what Paul's saying here. It's not saying try harder. It's not saying be more diligent. It's not saying do all these other things and you'll walk by the Spirit. He's saying walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And I think at least for myself, and I don't know about anybody else, but I sometimes, in the past, I've gotten that backwards. I've tried to do things thinking that is going to lead me to walking by the Spirit. And that's not what our passage is saying. It's not, uh, the solution is not pitting my will against the will of the flesh. It's not just say no to the flesh; just say yes to Christ. It's an act of submission. It's an act of walking by the Spirit. But walking implies movement too. Walking is not just okay. So I just stand here and I let the Spirit move me. The Spirit will guide me. The Spirit will direct us, but we've got to move. We can't just stay stagnant in our lives. But as we are pursuing him, and as we are walking, as we are moving, the Spirit will guide us and direct us in what those steps are. Nancy mentioned to us about the search committee and the time uh, of of prayer this Wednesday evening around really working to discern what it is that, or who it is that God would have for us uh, between the two gentlemen that are being uh, considered for the pastoral position. And the intent there is not our desires, but God's desires very easy for us to get and look at okay this is what we want that's not necessarily what god wants and the only way we can discern that is by walking in the spirit you know we see sometimes in cartoons you see the little the the angel on one side and then the little devil on the other side and there's discussion between the two and trying to influence the decisions that we make and i'm not sure it's quite that simplistic but i don't know that that's all that far-fetched either Because it is a battle. And there are two natures that certainly oppose each other. But because of the flesh, if we're not moving, most likely we're going backwards or we're going down. It's kind of like trying to walk up a descending escalator where as long as I'm moving, I'm making progress. But as soon as I stop because of my fleshly nature, odds are in that situation, I'm going to start digressing or going down. So verse 17 then, this is where the wrestling match actually takes place. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. We oftentimes look at the natures being in opposition to each other. My fleshly nature and my spiritual nature being in opposition. This verse takes, it a, little bit, uh, takes a little bit different perspective. It's the desires of the spirit and the desires of the of the flesh are in opposition to each other. So it's not just the natures that are in opposition to each other, but it's a battle. What we see here is it's a battle for my mind. It's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit that oppose each other. And the struggle that we have between those two, you know, there are, we're told in the New Testament in, in Ephesians and then uh, again over in First Thessalonians, that there are a couple things that we can there are two ways that we can push against the spirit. One is we can uh, actually quench the spirit, which means that we don't do things that the spirit is leading us to do, or that the spirit is prompting us to do. In other words, what we do is we put out the spirit's fire. And a lot of times, those things come from personal prejudices or preferences or perspectives where, okay, this is what I hold to, and the Spirit's maybe moving in a little bit different way. Maybe that's a little bit outside of the box that I'm used to the Spirit moving, and I'm uncomfortable with that. And maybe I restrict the way that the Spirit wants to move in a situation like that. The other thing we can do is we can grieve the Spirit. We see grieving the spirit in Ephesians chapter four, and that's whenever we do things that we know we're not supposed to do. Or we step out of where the spirit is leading and we submit ourselves to the flesh. So why does the spirit grieve in a situation like that? Why do we as parents, fathers, it's Father's Day. Why do we as fathers, mothers, we as mothers, those of you that are mothers, not a mother, uh, but those of us that are parents, whenever our kids make a decision that hurts them, and we know is going to lead into a place that is not beneficial, that hurts. And we grieve in those situations. We don't have teenagers yet. Um, those of you that have had teenagers that have, that have gone through those phases where they make decisions that hurt and are painful, and you know what the outcome and what those things are going to lead to, you know, we see that enough with uh, a 6- and a 10-year-old and... Uh, Hopefully it won't be magnified whenever they get to be teenagers, but it's probably inevitable that those situations will happen. But we grieve as parents. Similarly, the Holy Spirit grieves because he loves us and because he doesn't want us to hurt. And he hurts whenever we make decisions that he knows hurts us. That's why he grieves. You know, if we're quenching the Spirit or if we are grieving the Spirit, it's going to be hard to walk by the Spirit. Just like in a wrestling match, there is no tie. If we're not following the leading of the spirit, we will automatically fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's no middle ground. There's no tie. There's no vacuum. There's no neutral. If we say no to the spirit, we are automatically saying yes to the flesh. Verse 18 states, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So the spirit's job is to lead. Our job is to walk. Again, we don't want to stay stagnant here. It doesn't mean that we do nothing. We are asked to walk. So then the question becomes, well, which way do I walk? Do I go left? Do I go right? Do, how do I move? Well, that's where we're in tune with the spirit. The spirit, whenever we are walking, will give us that guidance will provide that direction as long as we are in tune with his voice. And in terms of in tune with his voice, there's, a, you think of a radio. If you're driving back and forth to work or going somewhere on a trip, and you've got a radio that uh, is giving you static. And it's in and it's out. That's not clear. Those are situations whenever we're struggling between the, f- the flesh and the spirit we don't hear things clearly. It's like a radio that's giving us static. But whenever we are in tune with the Spirit, whenever we are walking and allowing Him to lead, then we're going to hear much more clearly. In our walk, we make a lot of different decisions. And we're faced every day with opportunities to submit either to the Spirit Or to submit to the flesh it's not just in the morning or in the evening whenever we do our devotions it's not just a one-time thing it's an ongoing thing throughout the course of the day now not every decision we make is necessarily well is that spirit led or is that uh fleshly led there are decisions that we make that don't really impact that but there are a lot of decisions throughout the course of the day that we make that do impact whether we allow the spirit to lead or whether we allow the flesh to lead just like in a wrestling match, there are a lot of decisions that are made in the course of a six or seven minute match. A lot of those decisions are made instantaneously. And for those that practice wrestling, they're uh, they're instinctive in a lot of cases. However, there are times where a wrestler might get in a position where they sense what they need to do. And it's a feel type of situation. And whenever they get in that position, they just go with what they sense to be the right thing that will lead them to victory. I'm going to play a quick excerpt. This is part of a wrestling match. This was uh, actually the NCAA championship this year. And this is the 125-pound class. And the two guys that are wrestling here, actually they're both from Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania, and, but they never wrestled each other whenever they were in high school. And what you'll see here, there are two segments to this clip. You'll see them wrestling each other. And as you watch them wrestle, what I'd like you to think of is think of the battle of the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit and how they oppose each other. And then it'll take a quick break. It'll go to a, a separate segment and you're gonna see it's just instantaneous, but the one wrestler has his head down. They're all tied up and you can't see the build up to this, but in the match, there's a build up to this position and they're kind of in this position battling for a little bit of time. And then what we, again, what we can't see, but there's a, a decision that is made by the one wrestler to do something that's a little unorthodox. mm, He probably tried this in practice a couple times, but my guess is he probably never tried this in a match because he subjects himself to danger in order to lead himself to victory. There's about 30 seconds left, and whenever he does this, and if he doesn't get a takedown, if he doesn't score two points, he loses the match because the other kid is actually going to get a point at the end of the match, Uh, the match because he has what's called riding time he has an advantage that's not posted on the scoreboard yet so as we watch this two things i'd like you to think about one is the way that the the desires of the flesh oppose the desires of the spirit and then secondarily whenever it goes to that second segment think about there are times whenever i make decisions and sometimes they are instantaneous split-second decisions if i am not walking in the spirit Odds are that the decision I'm going to make is going to give opportunity for the, to the flesh. But if I am walking in the spirit, I'm going to be able to make a split-second decision that is going to allow to lead to victory. Josh. So you see that thrill of victory at the end. I mean, that guy, the, the wrestler that wins that match has been working his entire life to achieve a goal of that nature. And you see the thrill of victory. We have the opportunity whenever there's that battle between the flesh and the spirit to have that to experience that victory as well. But if we're not walking in the in the spirit, we are going to subject ourselves to the flesh. So moving on to uh, to verses 19 to 20. uh, We see that there are a there is a list of different sins that are here. And Paul talks to us about four different types of sin. And he says initially uh, he reveals to us and talks to us about sexual sin, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, which is basically anything that is fueled by sexual lust. And it's interesting that, you know, in that day, the Greek and the Roman world had vices around sexual sin. So I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul starts out with this. He's going right after the vices of that day and certainly vices that we have in our day as well. Uh, secondarily goes into vices of or, or sins of false religion. So idolatry, which is worship of the creature rather than worship of the creator. Basically anything that we place in place of God. And then he also mentions sorcery or witchcraft, which is a tampering with the powers of evil, which sometimes can lead into the worship of those powers as well. Then he talks about social sins. I think it's interesting here that Paul talks about these social sins in the same list that he talks about idolatry, and witchcraft so social sins are sins that we commit against our neighbor we see this list here enmity which is hatred uh, and that does include hatred against individuals hatred against classes of people we see strife here which is a natural natural outcome of hatred again keep in mind that he is talking to the church at Galatia so it's not just outside of the walls of the church but it's inside the walls of the church as well uh, we see um, jealousy and fits of anger, which typically are going to originate from selfish motives. We see rivalries, which is selfish ambition, which is constant and prevalent in our society. Dissensions. Uh, we see divisions, envy, which is, again, similar to jealousy. And again, this is, as we get to the end of this, we're also going to see sins that we'll call revelry sins or sins of debauchery, basically, where we have allowed our sinful nature and our desire for pleasures to put us to a place of drunkenness and it says orgies in there too. And then at the end it says, and things like these. So why would Paul say "and things like these? It's not all inclusive. There are other aspects that are not included in this list. You know, but whenever we read this, there's probably something in there that sticks out to us that maybe we struggle with. You know, maybe we don't struggle with um, witchcraft, but we struggle with something else in the social sin list. Maybe it's divisions or strife or envy or jealousy. Maybe we don't struggle so much with drunkenness, but we do struggle with putting other things in the place of God. There's probably something on the list that we can relate to. At least one, if not multiple things on the list. So then what do we do with the rest of verse 21 that says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things do not or will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that mean that if I am caught or I find myself in any of these sins, which every one of us has probably caught ourselves in some, uh, at least one, if not many of the ones on the list. Does that mean that I'm not gonna inherit the kingdom of God? No, that's not what he's saying here. The, the New American Standard actually uses a different, wor- a different word here that says those who practice such things. So whenever we think of the word practice, that's an over and over and over type of situation. So what Paul is saying here is not, okay, if you fall into one of these sins, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that if by nature, I am practicing these things. It's something that I do on and on and on, and it's prevalent in my life, and there's no desire to change. There's no conviction. There's no desire to change. And there's no prompting from the Spirit for me to uh, work again, or th- for me to allow the Spirit to take control of that aspect of my life. That is evidence that the Spirit is not in my life. And if the Spirit is not in my life, then I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So the other thing that I think is important to point out here too is there's a reference to inheriting the kingdom of God. This is a reiteration and a reminder to us that it's not something that we earn. So if I avoid doing all these things, then I will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what it says. It's not an avoidance situation. It is we inherit the kingdom of God because of the finished work on the cross that Jesus did. And that alone. And then by accepting that through faith, the Spirit allows me to avoid these types of situations when I allow him to lead the challenge again is we 're in a wrestling match, and the desires of the flesh oppose the desires of the spirit so then we get then we get to verses twenty two to twenty three where we see fruit and paul says But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So there's a distinct switch here. And that switch is he's talking about works of the flesh. And now he's transitioning over to fruit of the spirit. Why the distinction? Literally, literarily, in terms of literally uh, literacy, In terms of writing, typically what we see a lot of times is a parallel where you have this for one side and this for another side. But we don't see that here. We see a distinction. We see works of the flesh, and then we see fruit of the spirit. So why the distinction? When we think of works, we think of effort. We think of toil. We think of all the things that go into producing something. A a machine in a factory Works to create something. Whenever we think of fruit. Fruit. Grows out. Of life. We can't have fruit. Without life to begin with. And the spirit. Is what provides that life. From which the truth. Or from which the fruit comes. And the key to that. Is not so much toiling. Toiling. The key to fruit in our life is not working harder. The key to fruit in our life is abiding in the source. And the more we abide in the source, the more we see these fruit evidenced in our lives. So I want to walk through and define each one of these relatively briefly. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to make sure that we're clear on what these do. And as we go into looking at these definitions, so I want us to keep in mind as well that fruit produces works for others. Fruit exists for others. Works exist for self. And that's another reason why we've got the distinction. So love. Now, before we go into this, I, I, I need to share a disclaimer with you. And that's that we all have challenges with the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. So on the way home from the airport this week and I was getting off of 95 onto 476 and you come around there and the left hand lane merges in. So it's three lanes wide whenever you come off and then it merges into two lanes. So I'm coming off and I'm in the left hand lane, got some space in front of me. So I get over, I know that the lane's going to end. So I get over and I get in the middle lane, which is going to continue on. And I get over and then there's a vehicle behind me that comes up and is like basically right next to me going about the same speed. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to back off and just let this person in. So I did. I backed off, let them in. Well, there was a person behind them that, okay, that's my, their cue. They felt that was their cue to go ahead and force their way in. So now... This person in front of me gets over, and there's about 50 yards left in that lane, and there are arrows pointing for a long span of time before you get to this lane ending. And so this guy pulls up, and he's like gunning it, and there's no space. And and, and I have a a vehicle not right next to me, but relatively close. I don't have an option of getting over. Not that I really, this is a desire of the flesh kind of thing. I didn't want to get over anyway, but. (laughs) Nonetheless, he comes up beside me, and the lane ends, and I'm still where I am, and he's about—he couldn't have been more than five inches from my vehicle. And I looked over at him, and I said, "What are you doing?" And he wouldn't look at me, which is normally what happens. Anyhow, that was a desire of this—desire of the flesh. I—I didn't do anything wrong in the situation in terms of uh, things that I said to him, but. I was pretty upset and it wasn't a fit of rage, but it was what in the, I have no idea what this guy's trying to do. And so then he looks over at me and he just kind of takes his hand and goes, what am I supposed to do? Like, Okay. Do you have a license? Do you know, do you know what this means whenever you see this in the lane? And so we went probably for about a quarter of a mile right next to each other. And there's no spe- There's nowhere for him to go in front of me. I'm thinking, okay, just hit your brakes and back off. There's nobody behind us. And he, wouldn't, he would not slow up. So I, I, I have no idea what was going on. But at that point, I thought, okay, Mike, wh- what do you need to do in this situation? Just avoid the accident. I don't know where he's going or what's on his mind or why he feels like he, need, he owns this lane. But at that point, the lane opened up on the right. So I got over and he came in and then like took off. So I don't know what the situation was, but I cannot say that my initial desire for a response was a fruit of the Spirit. Um, I will say whenever we get to self-control, maybe a little bit there, but it wasn't kindness, it wasn't goodness, and it certainly wasn't love. So I need to quantify before we go in and we start defining these with that disclaimer. So love. We define love. It's an unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the well-being of someone else. It's not the feeling. It's sacrificial action. Self-giving service. And we also see in Romans that divine love is identified to be unmerited, transforming, and unchangeable. So whenever we're called to love people, or this is a fruit of the Spirit, in and of myself, do I have the ability To give unmerited love, a transforming love, and an unchangeable love. I would submit to us that in order for that to be the case, that that's got to come from the Spirit. doesn't mean I can't love outside of the Spirit, but in order for it to be transforming, it's got to be a fruit. Joy is deep, abiding, inner rejoicing in the Lord. Inner gladness, the supernatural delight in the person and plan of God despite circumstances. I think that's a real key, despite circumstances. The word joy we find in the New Testament is a really typical greeting that is used. And we also find that joy is particularly full when there's a context of something spiritually lost being found. Peace, tranquility, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord, the presence of the Lord, not just the absence of trouble. We also see that peace is a very important component of the New Testament. It appears, this particular word appears in every book in the New Testament, and it also appears 80 times. So it's a very, very important fruit that is being referenced here. Patience. Forbearance under suffering and endurance in the face of adversity. The ability to endure persecution and ill treatment. Again, not an easy thing to do. Kindness, the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing our patients. You know, when I saw this definition, my, my initial response was, ugh, that's tough. You know, it's not hard to be kind and to act for the welfare of those people that are really nice to me, care about me, and love me. But this has a component of being that way with those who test our patience goodness it's related to kindness but a little bit different in the sense that it's a little more active and directed toward those that do not merit the action faithfulness being steadfast dedicated dependable worthy of trust gentleness defined as gracious uh, gracious kindly disposition or a controlled strength you know, what's interesting, whenever we look a little bit deeper at gentleness and we look at some other references about being gentle in the New Testament, James tells us that this is the spirit with which we are supposed to learn. We're supposed to learn with a gentle spirit. We are supposed to discipline with a gentle spirit. You see that in Galatians chapter 6. And it's also a virtue for meeting opposition and giving Christian witness. We see that in Second, Thessalon- or Second Timothy and also in First Peter. And the last fruit that's listed here is self-control. So temperance, it's a rational restraint our natural impulses. Quality that gives victory over fleshly desires. So the types of transformations that are being listed here don't come from trying harder to obey the rules. That, I think, is part of the reason why we see what is listed here in the rest of verse 23 that says, against such things there is no law. Because the law was about obedience. Fruit of the Spirit is an outpouring that comes out of abiding in Christ and allowing the Spirit to lead me. In fact, I would submit to us that, you know, there are probably times that these things seem fleeting, Some of these fruit, maybe all of them, seem fleeting. And the reason that they seem fleeting is maybe because I'm trying harder to have those as part of my life as opposed to abiding in the true source of these fruit and allowing that to be an outflow of the spirit versus me trying to love somebody harder or me trying to be gentle in a situation. If we depend on our own abilities in a lot of cases, we're not going to see the evidence of these fruit. And so the other question becomes, well, why are these singular? Why is it not fruits of the Spirit? I think there are a couple of reasons why it's not fruits of the Spirit. Uh, But I think the primary component is because it all comes from the same tree. Whenever we see an apple tree, we don't say, oh, look, there's an apples tree. Or we see an orange tree, we don't see those here. But if you go to Florida and you see an orange tree there's an oranges tree we don't say that we talk about the fruit that comes from the tree it's an apple tree it's an orange tree it is a grape vine not a grapes vine because the fruit is all tapped into one source similarly here this is fruit of the spirit because they're all outpourings of the spirit they're all interconnected and they're all basically coming from one thing, from one person, and then they are evidence of holiness in our life. Tim Keller, who is a Presbyterian pastor in New York I'm going to read a quote that um, that he stated and it states uh, hold on a second. states that the reason that the fruit depend on each other is so. Uh, it, that they depend on each other so intimately is that they're really the, essentially the same thing. They're holiness. Operating in different situations and relationships. Each fruit is like one facet of a diamond through which we see the whole. So holiness evidences itself through all of these opportunities that we are presented with. There are times that we have opportunity for gentleness to come out. There are times where love comes out. There are times where patience Uh, is the fruit that is called on and whenever the more we are abiding in the spirit the more evidence we have of those fruit coming out whenever the opportunity arises one thing i do want us to caution uh, ourselves against too is sometimes we confuse our gifts or our strengths with fruit and that's not the case If somebody has a gift of teaching, they may be able to teach and not be abiding in the source of these fruit of the Spirit. If somebody is a really good singer, and I'm not, okay, so I'll use this analogy, but we could have, uh, somebody could sing and sound great. And we think that that's evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is not necessarily the case. It doesn't mean it's not. But if we have gifts and we have abilities that God has given us, those are all for the purpose of building up the body as well. But those gifts should not be confused with fruit. Should not be confused with evidence of the Spirit. Now whenever we combine strengths and abilities and gifts that God gives us with allowing God and the Spirit to lead through those situations, now there's power. And that's what we want and what we desire in our lives. Verse 24. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So let's talk a little bit about crucifying the flesh. What exactly does this mean? Well, I want to first point out that it says those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. So it's actually past tense. Crucifying the flesh basically means rendering it inoperative, powerless in our lives. When does that happen? That happens at the time of repentance. And sometimes we forget that. It is is something that we do need to pick up our cross on a daily basis and, and submit our wills to the Spirit. But the power of crucifying the flesh comes from the repentance and not from the striving we can strive all we want and the harder we strive sometimes the harder it gets the power is in the spirit not in the striving john twelve twenty four states truly truly i say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit that's crucifying the flesh where I take my passions and my desires and I submit them to the will of the Spirit. Our grandfather was talking to his grandson as the story goes. And he says to his grandson, Grandson, I have two wolves living inside of my heart. One is vicious and cruel, and the other is wise and kind. Grandson, a little startled, he says, So grandfather, who will win? Grandfather hesitates for a moment and responds, the one that I feed. If we go all day feeding the flesh, we're going to starve the spirit. But whenever we feed the spirit, we have the ability to crucify the flesh. So the question becomes, from what we're discussing here, is who are we going to feed? Are we going to feed the Spirit? Or are we going to continue feeding the flesh? Verse 25, and if we live by the Spirit, let also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? Does that mean like we're in a race, and the Spirit says, okay, go ahead, speed up, come on. Or does it mean slow down? Does it mean I make a right here, make a left? That's where walking in the spirit comes in too. Keeping step with the spirit is very similar to walking in the spirit because the spirit is going to lead us wherever that is. I think it's also important to think about the context of what we just talked about or what Paul just talked about. And the context was in conjunction with the the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and that. Crucifying the flesh is what is what allows us to be able to have the fruit evidenced in our lives. And that here, as we are crucifying, or as the flesh is crucified in us, then we're going to be able to understand more deeply the pace that God wants us to keep. So I want to close this morning with a situation that... Um, was really incredibly meaningful uh, in my life and basically set the stage for a lot of things that took place. When I, a lot of you know that when I uh, initially got out of college, went to Korea and and taught in a Christian school over there and was there, I think it was was either two or three years. I worked with the youth there as well and we were taking the kids on a camping trip, uh, just an overnight camping trip on a Saturday. It was either Friday, I think it was a Saturday night. But so we, we go up, uh, up this mountain and kids bring in their their sleeping bags and we get there we have a time together interesting you know you talk about what teenagers do it's interesting what they'll do whenever they're whenever boys are with other boys and what they're challenged on they found a little lizard kind of salamander kind of thing on the way up the mountain and needless to say one of the kids challenged the other one uh, to to eat it and so one of the guys became a little bit richer on the way up the mountain than he was whenever he left but no yeah you think about that so it I'll let that sink in a little bit uh, so we get to the top of the mountain we have our time together everybody goes to sleep the girls were in one section the guys were in another section it's 5 about 5:30 in the morning you know how it's bright it's bright light at 5:30 in the morning this particular day and Uh, you know kind of already awake and you sent somebody around you all two of the girls had come over and they're like we want to get down and get some water for everyone okay let's go down and get some water so get up we walk down the mountain and now I'm going to share this the the purpose of sharing this is not to embellish the story so please don't take it uh, from an embellishment of the story perspective or to bring glory to the story it's to relate to you a a challenge that I really, really struggled with in my life in terms of keeping step with the Spirit. So we're going down the mountain. We get about two-thirds of the way down, and and a guy walks past us the other way and looks at us. And if you've ever seen somebody with evil in their eyes, this was an example. The guy gets past us, and we're walking, and he sets his bag down, says a couple things, and he pulls a knife out of his bag a french chef's knife for those of you that understand cutlery it's about a about a 14 inch knife it's got some nicks out of the blade as well and so at this point the two girls that i'm with are i mean we're all like what's going on What's this guy doing and he rushes at us and gets between me and one of the other girls and starts taking her away using the knife to direct her um and he's saying things to her and you know, we start going after him and he turns to us and says a couple things and she's translating in Korean. She, both of these, these girls spoke fluent English and Korean. and She translates, she say, he says, don't follow me or he's going to kill me. And so as, as a leader, you're watching this take place. And you're powerless. So stu- you, the only thing you can do is start praying. Well, as he's taking her up the, the path, you know, she's fighting against him. And he is physically doing whatever he wants to to get her to go where he wants her to go. Um, and it was a very intense situation. So they get up around He takes her around this curve. The path goes around uh, and kind of curves to the left, which is about 40 yards away. And as soon as he goes around the curve, we take off and start running up toward him. What I didn't know at this point, this is the way God works. What I didn't know at this point is while he, whenever he turned that curve, is there's one of the guys that was with our group was coming down the path. And he saw them and turned and took off back up the path to go get other people to come help. So by the time we got up to where this uh, the guy took the girl down over off of the path about 10 or 15 feet and was in a section in some trees where they were both seated. He had her in front of him with the knife around the front of her and just mumbling stuff. And again, he's saying, get away, get away, get away. One of the kids... Uh, by this point, several other people had come around. There was a Buddhist temple right next to where this section was or people at the Buddhist temple watching this take place. And one of the guys that was in the group, one of the Korean guys, uh, started having a conversation. I don't know how he did this, but started having a conversation. Again, I do know how he did this. This is the power of God. This is what it is. There's no other explanation for it. And made a connection, a cultural connection because of the, he was being the middle child, and this guy was a middle child, and there was some cultural connection that he was able to make with this guy. And slowly works his way in and was able to grab the knife and throw it. And as he throws the knife, we all you know, come in to try to restrain this guy. The girl moves away, and she's battered, and she's bruised, but she's safe somebody up at the buddhist temple had actually called the police and the police show up shortly thereafter and they take this guy away and <laughs> you talk about being having a situation impact your life in a manner that you never anticipate that's stuff that happens in the movies but never happens in real life and i remember walking away from that once once we found out that you know uh, everybody was okay physically certainly there was some guidance and some, some support for because of a traumatic event after that. But I remember walking away from that once, you know, a few days went by and I was able to, to think about it. Okay, God, that's, you know, that's you telling me that I need to leave. I'm done. That's it. Clear as day, leave. And otherwise, why would anything like that ever take place? And I was pretty clear on that. And then one of the other missionaries came to me that I trusted and we had a conversation, and she said, so Mike, how much have you prayed about this? How much have you prayed about whether this is truly what God is saying to for you to leave, that this is time for you to leave? Or is this the enemy that is getting in here to get you to leave? Like, you know, that was the first time I ever even considered something of that nature. And so over the course of spending Significant time in prayer and being able to try to find a way to keep step with the spirit and allowing counsel from the body. That was my, the body of believers that I was with at that point were the other missionaries that I worked with and went to church with, you know, there are times that the spirit prompts us subliminally. There are times the Spirit prompts us individually, and there are times where the Spirit uses the body around us to help us keep step. And this was a situation where I needed the body because I couldn't find God on my own because of the, the situation that had taken place and because it was so easy for me to get distracted by the circumstances and it was hard for me to find a way to focus on God. And what I required was somebody that cared about God me as a person cared about me as an individual to be able to come and challenge me spiritually in terms of what it meant at that stage of my life to keep step with the Spirit. And I look back now and I see the things that God allowed me to be part of for the other two to three years that I stayed there. And it was during that latter part of time Christine came into the picture You know, without, um, you know, without me staying there, My wife is not my wife. Our kids aren't our kids. You know, the path changes. But it was a stage in my life where I needed help. And God brought the body of people around me to give that guidance that I needed. So as we close this morning, I'd like us to just reflect on two things. One is, what is God asking us to do right now to keep step with him individually. And maybe he's prompting us for something specific. And then also corporately. And if we've not been praying about how to keep step with the spirit corporately, I would really highly encourage us that maybe today is a good day to start doing that. To really be praying about what it means for us as a body to keep step with the spirit. Some of us, some of you have been doing that for a long period of time. And the encouragement is to continue in that. But as we think about what God is looking to speak, what the Spirit is looking to speak into our lives this morning in terms of keeping step with Him, what does that mean individually? And then how does that apply to me corporately as well? So our worship team is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song. And what I'd like us to do during this time is reflect, sing as you feel led, reflect as you feel led, but they're going to close us out.